Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. Are you okay? Are you really? Am I okay? Am I really? I do that sometimes to kids at school and it gives them the shit. Uh, I just mimic what they say and uh, they get so annoyed. They get shocked and surprised. And they'll, they'll be like, miss, is this how I do it? I'm like, miss, and you hear me? And you, like, grow up. No, <laughs> not that bad. Not that bad. Yeah. Nah, not if they're actually asking for help with their work. If they're being silly, I'll be silly back. And then they're like, oh, what? A teacher that's normal. <laughs> You uh, doing that reminded me of, I had this conversation with Kane last night. I don't know, we were watching something and um, it was about uh, what would you, what would Jesus do bracelets? Do you remember oh, those? Yeah. yeah, WWJDs, baby. Right. And then it yeah. got me thinking back in high school, and please correct me if it was different for you, Kate, but in high school we would all buy like, a soft drink or, you know, a Coke for lunch. And then in the cap, there was this blue little piece of plastic and you would rip that out. You would chew away the inside bit and then you would slowly, slowly extend that loop. Stretch it out. Stretch it out and make a bracelet. And I'm like, that's such a 90s, 2000s thing. No kid would get that. No. Do you have an example, Kate, of something specific from that era that, any kid today would be like, what the fuck? 100%. There's a um, black thin uh, gasket that you often put at the base of a toilet to stop it from leaking. Mm. And it's probably about, you know, seven or eight centimetres in diameter. And uh, people would wear them as chokers. Mm. So you would get them... Uh, from a toilet, I would assume, <laughs> and then again, slowly stretch them, and it'd be the worst to try and squeeze it over the top of your head like a swim cap, and then fucking <laughs> dick on your neck. But this, yeah, tight, thin rubber ring would be your your little choker. Chokers were so in chokers, chokers in general. Chokers were the vibe, actually, in the eighties and nineties. Let that could be an official shitting bricks fashion hot tip, folks. Hot chokers tip. are coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Go rage your toilets. <laughs> yeah, go rage your toilets. Dom, I've got another question because I did a voice before. Sure. Can you do me a favor? Yeah. And can you please, because I think it's I think it's universal, but I want to test it. Sure. Can you please say in your your best like exaggeration of a um a teenage boy's voice, uh, if they were to say um, you know, oh, miss, I didn't even do it. Like if they did something wrong, can you think about like, if you were saying it to someone, how would you say that? Like, oh, miss, I didn't even do anything wrong. Like, how would you, how would you do that? Cause I'll give you mine, which is the general universal voice of a whingy, uh, teen boy. Um, it's quite specific, but how would you say that? Oh, miss, I didn't even do anything wrong. Okay. Let me get to character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, miss, 
fuck off. I didn't do it. That is pretty close. That is so good. That's probably even going even further, but it's definitely, oh, miss, oh, I didn't even do it. Oh, miss, it wasn't even me. Like that's the classic whenever we're talking about this kid said this. It's And even if that kid doesn't even talk like, <laughs> like that, that, oh, miss, oh, I didn't even do it, man. <laughs> yeah. It's like their addiction got even worse. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's it. Oh. Oh my god! Thank you for that. Thanks for indulging me. Any, I, I love a good. I love a good. What's the word? Um, characterization, like a yes. good, a good voice. And well, my yeah. Sorry, I was going to say my period five class today, which I was taking. It was humanities. We were learning about profit and loss statements. What a thrill! I was just delighted to be there sharing that information. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because you got no fucking clue. Oh, no, no idea. I got no idea what it. Nah, I um, I went was going through that with them, and, and I said to them, you know, this is really dry. I've got to get through four slides, and I have to read them out to you. And you need to listen, and we're going to, you know, hmm. look at the information. And I started reading it, and I said, oh, this is dry. Someone give me an accent, and give me give me a type of accent that you want me to read this in. Um, and they said uh, British, do British. So I straight away went like sort of um, like Cockney, like, mm. you know, all right, so if you profit and loss, you got to make sure you're making more money than you're spending. So you get, and I read it like that. And they were just like, oh, miss. And then they, I did American and they were like, oh, that sounds a little bit too normal. And then I did another one. And they were like, can you do Irish? Oh. And then I just, I just went and just sort of went, which your profit and loss? You've got to make sure that you take this off there. And then, and then I went into it and the, the Irish accent, which that wasn't a great example. It was very, I felt it was very good. Mm. The class started applauding me. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, all of my acting like experiences and moments that I've had in my life where I've performed that moment was probably the biggest highlight in the last couple of years yeah. that this year seven class were clapping me for reading profit and loss information in an Irish accent. I was beyond chuffed. Tough. It was unbelievable. Well, folks, if you don't know, Catherine is is an extremely talented actress and just everything in terms of performance. And I'm not that bad myself. Correct. And we definitely not featured our talents as much as I think we possibly could. I would agree. On this podcast, just because of the nature of the content. But Kate and I are secretly (laughs) (laughs) working on a little project. And I don't want to get people's hopes up just yet because it's still in the infancy stages. It is. It is. But our characterization tech talents and techniques Kate are going to be put to the test they absolutely are and I I I cannot wait and I don't yeah we can't give anything away yet we want to make sure that we've got it in the bag before we share it but yeah folks oh my god I'm so excited it's going to be so much fun yeah and if those two poor accents that I just highlighted for you are anything to go by you are in for a treat Yeah, no, we're coming up to 100 episodes. Kate and I have been doing this for quite a while now. We want to keep things fresh. Uh, not that they're not already fresh, but yeah, yeah, we're kind of thinking of Even some... Even fresher. Yeah, some new stuff for you folks. But in the meantime, Kate, we should get through some... Oh, keeping. keeping. 
and then get into this week's story because everyone's really fanging for it, I can tell. Yeah, fanging, babe. Calm down, folks. Lizzie! Guys, Lizzie! Shut the door! Stop tapping on the window. (laughs) Stop tapping on the window. I've told you once, I've told you a hundred times. I'm not going to pay you attention if you're tapping on the window. Oh, miss. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't want to tap on the window. I didn't even do it, miss. I just watched you do it with my own eyes. Are you going to lie to my face? I'm not lying, miss. That would so be Maggie. Maggie would do it. Liz is a goody two-shoes, but Maggie would be like, Maggie, I'm tapping on the window. Okay. Thanks, Mags. Glass is not for tapping. (laughs) Oh, Maggie, welcome to the pod. That was so good. It's funny how similar (laughs) she is to a teenage boy. Anyway, our British folks, you could write in to uh, us and tell us how good we were. But anyway, (laughs) let's get through the housekeeping Housekeeping, real quick. Um, As usual, go follow us on shitting.bricks.podcast. We're on all the social medias. And while you're at it, go follow us on YouTube if you ever want to watch us do our episodes. It's actually really funny because you get Ah. to see all the physicalization. Yeah. Uh, of us being rat bags. Yeah, and our and our YouTube video is actually going through the roof at the moment. So <clears throat> go check us out on YouTube. Rad. Um, we just had another person, uh, a repeat person, come back to our Patreon because each week, if you haven't noticed, we're doing bonus episodes uh, and they're hilarious and they're fun and they're short and sweet, but you got to join to get yeah. them. So Exactly. Get that content. Yeah, it's lots of fun. So go do that. Um no Boo Pod Network features this week because we've just done the whole cycle of them. But I will do a little teaser. We are doing another Halloween special this year. I know it's only July. <laughs> but guess what, folks? It takes time to plan this shit. It does. We've got to plan it. So we're doing a really cool Halloween special. So stay tuned for all those highlights coming up. Exciting, so. fun things. Absolutely. Okay, that's housekeeping. Done. Bye. Dustin. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for leaving a chalky on my pillow. Love it. <laughs> num, num, num. Ooh, mint. Mm. Oh, I love mint. Same. Chocolates. Yes. It's my favourite. And it's a polarising subject. <laughs> Dominic, speaking of polarising subjects, sorry, I digress. I've got another very important question for you. Please. It's one of my role questions. I don't know if I've asked you this, but when I, when I, um, I mark the role uh, for each of my lessons, I ask them a question. Um, today's question was pineapple on pizza, yes, no, whatever. And if they answered correctly, I was going <laughs> to offer to buy them uh, pizza at the end of the term. And only one class answered correctly, which is yes to pineapple on pizza. And I don't care what anyone says. That is a hobby horse I'll ride into the sunset. It belongs. Now, the other question I have for you, mm-hmm. this is a good one. Um, how many, and bear with me because I like to put a uh, particular pause in this one sure how many inches (laughs) (laughs) sure (laughs) could your car seat driver's seat be moved forward before you noticed inches yeah so i was saying clicks but then i asked um your nephew this question and he said well mine doesn't even have a clicker it's got an electric button because i drive a special car (laughs) so i said fine inches (laughs) yeah (laughs) but how far forward could your car seat in the driver's side be moved before you noticed i reckon and happy to be tested on this but i'm quite sensitive to 
my like my I'm not very smart, okay, but I'm good at spatial awareness. <laughs> you okay. You are smart in so many ways. I'm really maybe not, not textbook, but, but... <laughs> but I'm very like I'm very if I sit on a seat and it's like a centimeter off, oh I know. Or if I yeah. walk into a room and someone has moved something and it's not where it should be, I will yeah. I can figure it out. I love those games where they're like, here's two images and sixty things are different. I'm like, Spot okay, well I found yeah. seventy motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. You're a better artist. <laughs> I may be overselling my talent in this, but to, to no, your I question, it. I reckon yes. I reckon I could get it to an inch. If it was an inch and yeah. mainly because I've got long legs and I can yeah. always tell if my knees are hitting like the dashboard or hitting something. Yep. I just, yep. uh, my life is bruised knees. <laughs> a life of bruised knees. <laughs> that's a stare. Yeah, that's yeah. another story. So I reckon I could okay. I could manage an inch. All right. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Couldn't we all? I feel the same way. My driver's seat has to line up specifically with the beginning of my gear stick and that's how mm. I set it and it has to be there. Um, same, I have long legs and I am very particular about a lot of things and my the way my car is set up is one of them. I yeah. Okay, thanks for that. That that was fabulous. Yeah. I've got the I'll bring you some extras. I've got a whole bunch of them. I've got a whole bunch of them. So maybe, you know, I'll 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 bring my role question moving <laughs> sure. forward. They're great ones. Well, that takes us perfectly into this week's episode and my next segment's called A Wild Time and Kate and I are having a wild time. We've just time. been on it. We're having a wild time. Let's do it. <laughs> but Folks, obviously, last week we did the first part, the number one of Ned Kelly, Bush Outlaw. This week is part two, and we may even have a part three. See how we go. See how much chitter-chatter we get through this week. I know. We're already 13 minutes we haven't started. (laughs) You're welcome, everyone. Okay. Doesn't matter because you love us. Let's get into it. A wild time. (laughs) The police did not relax their interest in our boy Ned. Oh, we love Ned. He was jailed for six months for assaulting a hawker, and in the following year, 1871, came disaster. He was sentenced to three years in Pentridge Jail. Shout Been there, done that. Shout out, Kate, for receiving a borrowed mare, which is a uh-huh. horse, by the way, folks, if you need help. Ask our friend Amy, ask our friend James, they're on the farm, they know. Yep, they love it. <laughs> Now, the borrower was his friend Isaiah Wild, right, was his name, who bewilderingly received a sentence for only 18 months, which is a bit unfair. Now, Wild, right, was a flamboyant young Mansfield identity who had lost a horse while at the Kelly homestead and failed to inform Ned Kelly that it was stolen. Mm-hmm. I love that this was like the wild flamboyant one. This is who I would play in the in the in the movie. In the in the movie for sure. Um, now Ned found the horse and rode it past the Greta police station, which earned him a brutal pistol whipping from a local trooper, Senior Constable Hall, who had initially tried to shoot him. This is a oh. rough going, folks. Jeez, they're like, "There's a bloke on a horse!" Pew pew. <laughs> Stop being so flamboyant. Stop. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> now, Hall's frank admission of beating Kelly over the head at the preliminary hearing did not encourage the police to persist with an assault charge, but Kelly was refused bail. Now, quoted from the Geldery letter, which if people don't know what that is, 
I will explain in a little bit, but it is a famous letter written by Ned Kelly. And Ned recounts his severe bashing at the hands of the Greta police. And and in it he says, Or dare not strike any of them as I was bound to keep the peace or I could have spurred those curs like dung in a paddock. They got ropes, tied my hands and feet and Hall beat me over the head with the six-chambered Colt's revolver. Nine stitches were put in some of the cuts by Dr. Hastings. And when Wild Rout and my mother came, they could trace us across the street by the blood and the dust, which had soiled the luster of the paint on the gatepost of the barracks hall. Can I say the word luster is not used enough? I know. He was very well read. He's very well read, very well written. Maybe he had like... Maybe Chat GPT was doing a good job for Ned Kelly back in the day. <laughs> yeah, OG Chat GPT. Okay, next, Isaiah Wright was arrested. Then, as Kelly had been in jail when the mayor disappeared, the, the theft charge was changed to one of receiving. Ned was sentenced to three years hard labor. However, Wild Wright, who actually stole the horse, received only 18 months. And upon his release, Ned challenged Wilde to a bare-knuckle fight, which lasted 20 rounds before Kelly was declared the winner at Beechworth on August 8th, 1874. Wow, 20 rounds. I know. That's a lot of punching. There's a photo of not the actual fight, but Ned Kelly in his boxing gear, if you're oh, wow. interested. Mm. Mm. Now, Ned had also discovered that his mother had married again and had oh. her new husband, George King, who was from California, yay. Ooh, California. He was later described by Ned as a clever horse thief. King gave Mrs. Kelly, she retained her first name's, her first name's husband. <laughs> okay. She did. All right. Okay. All right. Deal with it. T- t- dyslexia who? <laughs> now, Ned had worked with George through most of 1877, running stolen horses across the Murray River for sale in New South Wales. I'm getting that flash again, Kate, because I'm like, I've been there. I've been there. I've been there. Even Mansfield. I was there not long ago. I just, oh, we probably have stood in places where Ned Kelly has stood. Yeah, easily. How cool. Anyway. This major horse-stealing racket performed a significant raid on the district's most powerful squatter, James Whitty. In 1877, Ned Kelly was arrested for riding across a footpath and drunkenness. Oh. Okay. I think they're just picking on him. Leave him alone. This is... There's some work to be done on the whole writing of laws here, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And I think, too, that, yeah, they need to leave him alone. Um, And there's nothing wrong with, you know, riding a horse or riding an e-scooter after a few bevies. That's all I'm saying. Just If you're a bit fishnickered, just put your helmet on. Correct. Hmm. Now, this is a really curious charge for Ned because Ned was actually known not to be a drinker. Yeah, okay. Many suspected the police of spiking his liquor as Fitzpatrick was seen at the bar, that's a constable, with him on the night in question. Ned took umbrage at the police attempt to handcuff him and an epic fight ensued between Kelly and his four escorts, Sergeant Whelan, Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick, later to be driven out of the police force due to numerous charges of neglect of duty and misconduct, 
mm-hmm. as well as Constable Day and Constable Lonigan, who Ned was to later shoot dead at Stringy Bar Creek. Now, Stringy Bar mm-hmm. Creek is the shootout, folks. We'll get the to. shootout. Yeah. Now, Ned took refuge in the bootmaker's shop across the road from the Benella Courthouse after escaping a brutal police bashing on his way to court. Like, it is rough. Yeah. They're not taking it easy. Now, this is a f- pick which word I think is one of my favourite words. Now, during the fracas, such a good word, Lonigan grabbed Ned by his privates and squeezed so hard it was to cause Kelly problems for the rest of his short life. Oh, my God. That's awful. That's right, a I'm gonna take a, I'm going to take a stab in the dark was the word fracas. <laughs> yeah. I'm very you asked subtle. me to guess and then I think you gave it away. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I loved it. I'm not very good at, you know, being subtle. It's well, not, it's not a modern age. So what are your strong, <laughs> strong suits? But anyway, that's okay. Um, where was I? Privates. Now, Ned was said to have howled in pain. Well, Lonigan, I never shot a man yet, but if I do so, help me God, you will be the first, Ned said. Which, ironically, a year later, he did. Eventually, Ned was subdued by a sympathetic magistrate, William McGuinness, who led him to the courthouse. See? Peaceful resolution, folks. Hmm. Okay. That was a wild time. Next is the Fitzpatrick mystery. Now, when Ned's 16-year-old brother Dan became a suspect, a disreputable young police constable named Alexander Fitzpatrick, who we know, tried to arrest the boy at the Kelly homestead. A mysterious brawl erupted. Okay. How can a brawl be mysterious? I'm just it's mysterious. Just like punching under a table. Who was that? <laughs> Stop brawling with me. <laughs> subtly. Now a mysterious mysterious, mysterious brawl. <laughs> Now, a drunken Fitzpatrick swore that Mrs. Kelly had assaulted him and that Ned Kelly had shot him in the wrist. Ned and Dan became fugitives, and Mrs. Kelly, with a baby at her breast, was sentenced to three years' hard labour. What? Why? Because of association? That's... Well, she was in the brawl. I don't know. Well, because well, she had a baby on her breast. It was supposedly because she had assaulted him and it was Ned that had right. shot him in the wrist. But uh, I, don't, I don't like it. I guess all you need to do is just claim something as a police person. and Yeah, boom. and then you can grab someone's nuts. Now, her son-in-law, <clears throat> Mrs. Kelly, Bill mm-hmm. Skilling, or Skillion he was known as, and a neighbour, Bill Bricky Williamson, each received <gasps> six years hard labour. So supposedly they were also in the brawl. Ned and Dan, the fugitives, offered to surrender if their mother was released. The offer was refused. Mm-hmm. My goodness. It's, it's like tales, like Days of Our Lives or something. I mm. love it. Australian version. Now, brother Dan Kelly had fallen foul of the law while still in his teens. He was given three months for damaging property, but later the chief police witness against him was charged with perjury. On his release from prison, Dan went home unaware that the police, unable to find the horse thief King, had sworn warrants against both Ned and Dan. It was reported that Ned had slipped over the border into New South Wales 
However, evidence suggests he was very close by on the night of the Fitzpatrick incident, the brawl. An incident that should never have occurred if proper police guidelines had been observed. In particular, the command that police must not act alone when executing an arrest warrant. See, that's actually a useful thing. So Mm -hmm. I'm all for that. Now, the trooper who came with the warrant was a weak-willed man named Alexander Fitzpatrick. That's going to be a pretty big insult. Well, You're a weak-willed man. Yeah. And I, I said don't need that, that on my business card. No. <laughs> and I said it without wrestling with my wobble use. Weak, wild. Man, no, I no. can't do it. Never mind. <laughs> a weak, wild man. There you go. That was good. Okay, thanks. Thanks. Now, Alexander Fitzpatrick had called at a tavern on his way to Mrs. Kelly's place to fortify his intent. That's not a good idea. Don't go to the bar, get knackered, and then go do your arrest by yourself. Yeah. Not not cool. Yeah, don't do it. It is quite possible Fitzpatrick was looking to make himself some sort of hero by traveling solo. The trooper found Dan at home with Mrs. Kelly and the girls, as well as Will Skillian, Maggie's. Maggie Kelly's husband, and a neighbouring selector named Williamson. Not long after the lone trooper entered the homestead, a violence erupted. Fitzpatrick made a drunken pass at Kate Kelly, and Dan knocked him down. And in the ensuing scuffle, the trooper's gun went off and cut his wrist, most likely on the door latch. Okay. Mrs. Kelly was full of concern. She bandaged his wrist and he was invited to have supper with the family and let bygones be bygones. Come and have a cup of tea, darling. I've bandaged you up. Just come and have a cup of tea and some damper. It'll do you the world of good. You're a bit, you're a bit drunk, Dal. Yeah, take a seat. Mm. On his way back to police barracks, Fitzpatrick had some more brandy He then reported to his superiors, probably out of embarrassment, Mm -hmm. that Dan Kelly had resisted arrest and that Ned had burst into the room and shot him in the wrist. Okay. I think Ned was a better shot than that. Yeah. Ned then offered to cut out the bullet with a rusty razor blade, but Fitzpatrick declined, opting to use his penknife to dig it out. Did you want me to cut that out with this rusty razor blade? Ah, uh, I think I'm okay. Yeah, I'll Thanks be, for asking. I'll, I'll do it myself. Allegedly. Allegedly. Now, a doctor giving crown evidence readily accepted the contribution of Fitzpatrick's penknife to the injury, while apparently reluctant to state definitely that a bullet had been involved. So he's sure that a penknife had been used to cut out a bullet. Yep. but wasn't willing to admit that there was a bullet involved. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. Clear to me, clear as mud. Ned Kelly may have had a revolver at the time of the incident, but it seems highly unlikely that it produced the constable's wound, certainly not as alleged as, as by Fitzpatrick. Even the acting commissioner of police later admitted Fitzpatrick was a liar. In all likelihood, both Ned and Joe were present at the Kelly homestead on the night Fitzpatrick came calling. By the time a troop of police had surrounded the Kelly homestead, the boys had gone bush. So, folks, if you're a bit confused, don't worry. There's a lot of hearsay here. Was Ned there? What happened? Who shot 
the limp-wristed the sheriff, <laughs> weak-willed. Who was the shot yeah. the sheriff? Oh, I did not I shoot my deputy. deputy. <laughs> I knew that was a song. That is, yeah. It's hard to know, folks, but yeah, we weren't there. Exactly. We're going to be full disclosure. Dom and I were not there. Yeah, but yeah, it's adding to the fact that there was a lot of tension between this gang, mm-hmm. gang in mm-hmm. quotations, and the police. Mm-hmm. Now, in spite of Mrs. Kelly's protest that Ned was 400 miles away and anyway, nobody had shot Fitzpatrick, the arrests were made. For assisting in an attempted murder of a police officer, Judge Redmond Barry sentenced Skillian and Williamson to six years each and Mrs. Kelly herself was sentenced to three years in jail. Like, boom. A police officer's come over to arrest someone, a fight's ensued, boom. The whole lot of them are in jail. The whole family. You're all all nicked. Yeah. Barry, at the time, also remarked that had Ned been present, I would have sentenced him to 21 years. Later, Fitzpatrick was to be discharged in in, What is that word? Oh, hit me with it. Hit me with the spelling. I-G-N-O-M-I-N-I-O-U-S-L-Y. Go again. I-G. I-G-N-O-M. Yep. I N I O U S L Y. Ignominously? Ignominously? Yeah. Ignominously. Yeah. I'm going to look it up. You look go. that up because. I got you. That is a word I've never seen before. He was discharged from the police force for misconduct in another case, but by then the damage had been done. Well, duh. Ignominous. Deserving or causing public disgrace or shame. Mm ignominously she was ignominously forced to resign so it's when you've done something that was a complete failure (laughs) well i've never Ah. failed at anything and i've never been ashamed of anything before in my life so of course not me either no except except (laughs) for last weekend and the the other the other night and then um just before but aside from those times doesn't resonate doesn't resonate (laughs) now ned kelly swore vengeance Mm-hmm. Restrained by his friends, he instead wrote an impassioned letter to Magistrate Wyatt offering to surrender his own person to any charge in exchange for his mother. But Magistrate Wyatt was powerless to act. By then, the police were increasing their efforts to get Ned Kelly, so he and Dan vanished overnight from the district. Mm-hmm. The government offered a reward of £100 each for their apprehension. Ned and Dan went into hiding in the Wombat Ranges, some 20 miles from Mansfield in rough country. They cleared the ground and built a slab hut near the banks of a creek and spent their time panning for alluvial gold. I'm not going to lie. That sounds like such a, like. That's such a good life. (laughs) I'm sure it was not an easy life, folks. In fact, I know it wasn't. Yeah. But if I didn't have to worry about bills and just shit yeah and wake up in the morning and catch me a roux and go pan for gold in a creek and it's pretty good i'm i'm i wouldn't mind that for a bit yep okay now here they were joined by two old friends steve hart a part-time jockey for wangaratta (gasps) wang wang welcome to wang and joe byrne son of a gold prospector at beechworth 
Both had previously served short prison sentences. Joe was a woolshed lad born around 1857 of Irish Catholic extraction. His father died when Joe was around 12 years old after a working life as a digger, then a dairyman. Byrne went to school with Aaron Sherritt and they later served six months together for the unlawful possession of meat. <laughs> you boys be packing too much meat. <laughs> You're under arrest. <laughs> <laughs> later, Joe was fined for the illegal use of a horse. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to pause you there. Um, can Is there further detail on that? Uh Please explain. I'm blushing, Kate. <laughs> their, their idea of illegal use of a horse is probably a little bit different to our use of a legal horse these days. Yeah. Not our use, not our personal use, I mean generally for the what laws we think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, like the rest, no, there isn't. Now, like the rest of the Kelly gang, Byrne was a good shot and a fine horseman. So we'd be told. Okay. He practiced riding down steep gullies for fun. He was also an experienced alluvial miner and could speak fluent Cantonese, having grown up amongst the Chinese diggers, which came in handy during his numerous visits to their opium dens. Oh, yeah, fair enough. This is giving me dead wood like you wouldn't believe. I've never seen it. Oh, <gasps> oh. Fuck me, dead Kate. It I'm is sorry. so good. It is like Wild Wild West Shakespeare. Okay, I will put it on my list. Oh my I god, watched it. All right, it's Cock going sucker. on the list now. Cocksucker. Oh. It is the word of that TV show. They normalize the word phrase cocksucker. I, I it's like good morning, it. cocksucker. Okay. It's, oh, cool. It's every other word. Oh, you've ah. got to watch it, Kate. All right. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. It's on the list. Okay. It is one of the most well-written things I've ever seen. Amazing. Um, Yes. Now, Joe Byrne was part of the Cali gang because he happened to be around on the day of the Stringybark killings. On another day, the gang could have been made up from an entirely different cast, including Tom Lloyd, Ned's cousin, or Wild Wright, the cheeky bugger, flamboyant one. Yep. Yep. Ned's mischievous Mansfield mate, or even Aaron Sherritt. So, you know, it's the whole group. It's the whole gang. Now, Joe Byrne, however, was no ring-in. He became mates with Ned Kelly in 1876 and trusted him completely. He is remembered as Ned Kelly's lieutenant. The man Ned consulted on strategy. Now, Ned saw Joe as a wise, patient sort of fellow, unlike Dan or Steve, which is why he tolerated Byrne's relationship with Sherrod, even when others were branding Aaron as a police informer. At Stringybark Creek, the evidence suggests that Joe shot dead Constable Scanlon after Ned had blown him off his horse. Let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) For those listening, which is a significant number of you, uh, when Dom said that, both of our eyes just lit up. (laughs) We just looked at each other because we're pests and we like to make rude jokes. jokes. Yeah but we're subtle. (laughs) So subtle. We're as subtle as a brawl in a pub. (laughs) Now, Scanlon's ring was worn by Joe Byrne at Glen Rowan. (laughs) Okay. Come on, Kate. Well, he was blown off a horse Horse and then his ring ring. was worn. Like, what more do you want from me? You can't keep me locked up like this. 
just like Brokeback Mountain, if these boys got a little lonely in the middle of the night, you do what do you gotta do. What you gotta do. You do what you wanna do. Do what you wanna do. Be, be what, what, you what you wanna, wanna be. be. Yeah. Oh. Enjoy that, was that ring. That's great. Um, yeah. So Aaron Sherritt inadvertently implicated Joe as a Kelly gang member when on being asked to become a police informer, said he would consider the deal if Burns' life was spared. Now, Joe's high-heeled boots were his trademark, being referred to as a larrikin heels, as the larrikin heels in late 19th century Victoria. I There's heels? There's a bit of anal play? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a fan of the horse, but... Like, this is fun. There's larrikins. Yuck someone's yum. There's larrikins in just times. They're just having the best time of their life. Now, Byrne was seen as one of the most glamorous gang members with his handsome colonial boy charm and his strong opposition to police law and order. Joe enjoyed reading a fine book and was a highly proficient writer. It was Joe who penned Ned's words in the famous Geraldine letter as well as, see, this makes sense. It was Joe that wrote the letter. Mm-hmm. And was, um, yes, the the Gerald Deary letter, as well as the red-inked Euroa letter sent to Victorian MP Donald Cameron and Superintendent Sadler. Sadler. It was also understood Joe composed a member of ballads extolling the virtues of the gang's escapades. And a verse from one of Joe's songs goes, should I try and sing it? Yes, please sing oh, it. I'm sing so, it. I'm not a singer. Kate's yeah. the singer, folks. I'm <laughs> tone fucking deaf. I can't wait. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> um, how does it go? No, I can't sing it. I'm just going to read it as a poem, folks, because okay, I just okay. don't know how I would put a beat to this because it's not my thing. It's Yeah, it's probably going to be like a bit of an Irish, uh, you know, yeah. folky folk song, folk song style. Well, it goes. With it. My name is Ned Kelly. I'm known adversely well. My ranks are free. My name is law. Wherever I do dwell. My friends are all united. My mates are lying near. We sleep beneath shady trees. No danger do we fear. That's nice. That's the core of romance. Oh, that's nice. That's this nice. I like it. Different. Yeah. Unusual. <laughs> now, Ned Kelly was a natural leader, but it was later revealed that he had no plan to carry out organised crimes from his hideout. With the help of various friends, the Kelly boys operated a gold mine and a whiskey still on Bullet Creek in an attempt to raise enough money to mount a retrial for their mother. So mm. it's just a bit of context setting while it's important to know where the story starts. Like there's a build-up. It's kind yep. of like think of it as the Australian Braveheart in a way. Like there's all this lead-up to the working folk and the the hardships that they went through the injustices they experienced and i'm sure police and government would have painted a very different picture of the kelly group and associates Mm -hmm. but it's just interesting to hear a different side of the story i think agreed (laughs) thanks kate yes all right you're doing good (laughs) i'm doing good now where are we up to 
Jesus Christ. Okay, okay, we might make this. We might make this. Now, okay. let's get to Stringy Bark Shootout, shall we? Because this is the let's thing. Let's do it. Yes, please. Now, <clears throat> the police hunt intensified. In late October 1878, two police parties set out for the Wombat Rangers from Greta in the north and Mansfield in the south, attempting to take the Kelly brothers in a pincer movement. Get him. This trap would then close and result in the triumphant return of the police with the bodies of Ned and Dan Kelly. One of the police parties was led by Sergeant Kennedy with Constables Lonigan, Scanlon and McIntyre who rode out from Mansfield. They wore no uniforms but all were heavily armed for when the gang rode out of Stringybark Creek, they took with them four Weebly revolvers, Scanlon's point. 500 caliber seven shot Spencer carbine, which was borrowed from the Woods Point Gold Escort, and Kennedy's double barreled shotgun, which was borrowed. I love this. They're all borrowed. They're all borrowed. From Reverend Sandiford, the Mansfield vicar. Wow. Mm. Okay. Thou shalt not kill. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> unless you're unless a you borrow, unless you borrow this gun. Now, Constable Thomas Lonigan was included in the Stringy Bark Party because he could identify the Kellys. Yeah, there wasn't, like, photos weren't super everywhere. And Yeah. Yeah. And in September 1877, Ned was arrested in Benella for riding on a footpath drunk and conducted, and conducted across the Broken River to the barracks where he claimed his liquor had been spiked, mm-hmm. which we spoke about. Went through. Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Now, on the 25th, they made camp at Stringybark Creek, unaware that only a mile away was the Kelly's camp, making one of his regular reconnoiters. That's another good word. Okay. I bet you can't I don't know what that one means, did it? I can't spin it. To reconnoiter? It's like... Okay, look it up, Kate. Reconnoiter is like, go... On an exploration of a... How do I spell it? R-E-C-O-N-N. Yeah. O-I-T. Mechanoiter. Reconnoiter. It's like going on in a little... Make a military observation of a region. They reconnoitered the beach some weeks before the landing. So So like reconnaissance, but not. Exactly. Ah, wowee. All right, so currently we're follow- we're following the story of the coppers who have all their borrowed guns from the reverends and the townsfolk. That's right. They're going on their mission, reconnoiters, to find the Kellys. Yes, and they didn't realise, but they actually they made camp at Stringybark Creek and they were unaware that they were so close. So they close, were, they were yeah. like less than a mile away from the actual Kelly camp, which they've been yeah. hiding Looking away. Ma- everywhere. Making, making gold and panning for whiskey. now making now it wasn't the police that were on a reconnoiter it was ned right now ned was making one of his regular reconnoiters okay he spotted the police camp and hurried back to raise the alarm believing quite rightly that he and dan would be shot on sight 
Mm-hmm. There had been recent well-publicised cases of trigger-happy New South Wales Welsh 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 Welshians Welsh Welsh New South Welshians Welsh Anyway, police killing suspects, and there is persuasive evidence that the Victoria Police searching for the boys were equally likely to shoot first. Mm-hmm. One police officer was quoted as saying, if I come across Ned Kelly, I'll shoot him like a dog. I think that's That's pretty evidence. good evidence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm. That's pretty conclusive. I'm there. Not only were the police well armed, they had also bought along, not brought, bought <laughs> along. What's the difference? I know. Oh, let's not get into it. I just okay. thought it was funny, bad writing. <clears throat> yeah. Um, his first choice was now, oh, where the fuck am I? No, they brought, brought along. They bought along. Bought along a pack horse fitted with heavy leather straps made especially for the expedition. The sole purpose of these straps was to lash tightly the bodies of Ned and Dan for their return to Mansfield. So, mm. you know. Further evidence. Further evidence, folks. Now, Sergeant Michael Kennedy took good care in organising the party. His first choice was an old comrade, Mounted Constable Michael Scanlon, a former prospector and crack shot who knew the Mansfield country. Scanlon was temporarily relieved at Marutna. I love that word. That's a great word. Constable Lonergan of Violet Town, the one who had grabbed Ned's testicles in the bootmaker's shop was included mm-hmm. because he knew the Kellys and Constable <laughs> McIntyre. Yeah, well, he knew Ned He knew well. Ned intimately. A <laughs> um, Constable McIntyre, an orangeman who had a reputation as a camp cook, made the fourth member of the party. Okay. Disca- McIntyre? 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 How would you say it? MC? I would say, yeah, McIntyre. Is- I thought McIntyre is M-A-C. M-A-C. McIntyre. McIntyre? McIntyre. Please write in. Tell us what you think. (laughs) (laughs) This thrilling conversation (laughs) we spent 30 seconds on. You're welcome, listeners. (laughs) Now, disguised as prospectors, the four troopers set out with considerable secrecy from Mansfield on Friday morning, October 25th, 1878. Kennedy and Scanlon evidently decided to split the reward for they said nothing of any plan but instead vacated camp at six the next morning, leaving Lonigan and McIntyre to keep watch and prevent their mounts from straying. The two troopers were relaxing by the campfire where Ned, Joe, Steve and Dan emerged silently from the bush. Intending to disarm the police and take their horses, they challenged the troopers and ordered them to surrender. Mm. Lonigan jumped to his feet and drew his revolver, but Ned shot him dead. McIntyre surrendered immediately. When Kennedy and Scanlon returned to the camp, Ned called to them to bail up. Instead, the troopers opened fire. Should I explain bail up? Yes. Like give up. Oh, okay. Bail up. Gotcha. Give give it up. Give up. Give it up. Give up, folks. Instead, the troopers opened fire. A gunfight followed with the policemen dodging from tree to tree. Ned, whose shooting was deadly even in the fading light, killed Kennedy while Joe Byrne finished off Scanlon. But McIntyre managed to escape on Kennedy's horse. 
The gang then covered the bodies of the police troopers with blankets, took their weapons and rode out. Mm-hmm. Constable McIntyre reached Mansfield to raise the alarm and told a story of a cowardly ambush by the Kellys and a mass slaughter which shocked Mansfield and, in time, the whole country. Ned Kelly, Dan Kelly, Steve Hart and Joe Byrne were proclaimed outlaws to be taken dead or alive. 200 police were drafted into the area and skilled native troopers Mm -hmm. were brought in from Queensland. The policeman hunt drew a blank. Even with emergency powers to enter premises, search and arrest without warrant, the police could find no trace of the Kelly gang. So they just had an open checkbook to do whatever they felt like. Well, they had killed three police, you know. That's Yeah, I hear that, yeah. Yeah, not a good look. Like, no, it's not. I don't a great think we start. can. We can't. We can't paint. And we can't that justify in any that. Way. We can't. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, suspected sympathisers were arrested and held for weeks on remand, and public sympathy for the police vanished and resentment set in, even among law-abiding citizens who deplored the shooting of Kennedy and his men. Then, at last, the police got help from a friend of Joe Byrne named Aaron Sherritt, who turned informer. Mm. We all spoke, we talked about him just before, folks. Yeah. Although in reality it is more likely Sherritt was trying to line his pockets with some easy money, while he may also have attempted to throw the scent off the real trail, Sherritt eventually made the fatal mistake of not letting Joe Byrne and the rest of the Kelly gang in on his plan. However, at this stage, Ned's main concern was a lack of money. Ned decided that funds must be raised to keep them going and to help sympathisers who needed bail money and pay off farming debts. It was decided the gang needed to rob a bank and the town of Euroa held the perfect prize. I reckon we've got time for me to quickly tell one last little story and then we're going to wrap it up, folks, and get into our special Brickin' It episode. Because mm-hmm. i got to finish off. Oh, no, I can't even say what it is because I left everyone hanging last week about our Brickin' It episode. So. You did. I know. So I just got to leave that. Okay, folks. Now, Stringy Bark Creek, this is where everything escalated, as you can tell, Ned Kelly became Ned Kelly yeah, and the gang. It all shit hits the fan here. So here we go. Taking the banks. Now that's not the like water, the banks down by the river. This is like. The places that hold people's money. Yes. Sure, mm-hmm. Would you like a free yeah. toaster with your credit and card? keeping <laughs> Do you get free toasters with credit cards? I haven't had a credit card in a very long time. I didn't know this, but I do need new toasters. Is that how it works? Um, I just want to um, just reiterate that the initial motivation for the Kelly gang to be doing this was to raise enough money to get his mummy out mm-hmm. of, of Puisois mm-hmm. from the stupid fight that wasn't a fight that he cut his hand on a door and they asked for damper and tea. That's so, where this okay. started. Yeah, this is the start The start of it. Yeah. Dan and Ned are just hanging out in New South Wales living off the land, trying to hide away. Trying to make some money. Pass the time, make the money, da-da-da, get his money yeah. out. And it's yeah, has escalated quite quickly. Yes, it has, unfortunately. Now, taking the banks. So money's an issue. They need to step their 
gang watcher up. <laughs> On December 10th, 1878, the Kelly gang invaded a station property at Faithfuls Creek, 27 miles west of Benella. 22 people at the sheep station were rounded up and locked in a storeroom while Kelly's horses rested. Then, leaving Joe Byrne to guard the prisoners, Ned, Dan and Steve drove into Euroa in a commandeered hawker's cart. Euroa then had a population of no more than 300. With an unpretentious brick building on the main street, which was being rented from the local blacksmith by the National Bank. At 4 pm, Ned Kelly entered the bank with a drawn gun, and Dan came in from the rear. <laughs> 10 minutes later, which is, you know, decent inning, they were out on the street again, richer by 2,260 pounds. Wow. In notes and gold from the bank safe and after cutting the telegraph lines from Melbourne to Benella to prevent anyone alerting the authorities. Very, very smart. Very smart. 2,260 pounds is like... Oh, A lot of money. What know, year are we talking? Eight to <clears> ten <throat> years annual pay for a factory worker back in okay. the early 19, uh, 1800s. So, sorry. Early 1900s. No. Yes. <laughs> Fuck my life. Late 1900s. Mm-hmm. So the gang had just carried off as their first exploit, the most perfectly planned and executed bank robbery in Australian bushraging history. History. At least it's mm-hmm. the first documented. Yeah. There was no violence and leaving no enemies behind them. Ned, Dan, and Steve then returned to Faithful's Creek to meet up with Joe Byrne, who had stayed behind to oversee the 22 hostages. They brought with them the bank staff, which included the manager, his wife, and seven children, mother-in-law, maid, and nanny. Oh, bring them all along. Yep. Mr. Sheffield. (laughs) Was he there? (laughs) Uh, most were charmed by the polite, stylishly dressed outlaws. Collecting Joe Byrne at the station homestead, they rode off again on fresh horses after entertaining the prisoners with an impromptu trick riding exhibition. Well, let, let me give them a little Let's show. With we'll some give you a show. Heels. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> some pony tricks. Let's do this. They do sound kind of sexy. Yeah. I bet you their teeth were horrible, and I can't handle bad teeth, but anyway. Okay. Noted. Sorry. I no, That's I okay. just mean like no, I mean bad hygiene if you've got yes. bad oral care. If you, yes. You've got but anyway. Some crooked no. teeth. That's okay. That's fine. We've all yeah. got crooked teeth. Um Yeah. Now, what was I say? Oh, the riding exhibition. Now, a hostile press <laughs> was forced to hail the raid as triumphant while the mm. police careered around in futile pursuit. The Melbourne Herald noted that Sydney considered the affair an awful disgrace to the Victorian police system. While the Melbourne Aged, Age, which is our newspaper, which another mm-hmm. newspaper, described the operation as daring and skillfully planned. Yeah, sure, sure. Now, an artilleryman who was stationed in the town soon afterwards reported, the people in the bank told me that with the exception of the robbers taking the money, they never offered the slightest insult to anyone. I also visited the young husband station where Joe Byrne was sentry over 30 persons 
while the other others were in the bank and was told everywhere that the outlaws were undoubtedly police-made criminals. The government of Victoria then increased the rewards on the heads of the Kelly gang to £1,000 each, wow. and military guards were posted on all banks in the northeastern district. Two months later, Ned Kelly and his men crossed the border into New South Wales and struck again. And on that note, folks, because we're about to unlock the whole shebang. Yeah, the, the golden period of the Kelly game. I love it. What a brilliant place to pause. I love it. He, he, he. I'm loving this. I'm learning so much about this Ned Kelly story. It is amazing. It's a really cool story. Like It is. It's actually really lovely and I'm enjoying yeah. telling it, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Thank you so much, Dom. That's amazing. You are most welcome, folks, for sticking around. And, Kate, you're an angel for keeping me laughing, as always. You got it, babes. It's the least I can do. <laughs> All right. We will see right, you folks. next week because I've got to finish this one off. Yeah. Um, even though it's lots of fun and I could keep telling it forever. But we will see exactly. you next week for Fantastic. the finale of Ned Kelly. The finale. Yay. We love you, folks. Make sure you like us on social. We love you. Bye. That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.